Good morning. My name is John Ziegler, and I am the pastor here at Church of the Resurrection. I'm Church of the Incarnation. Sometimes I get our church name wrong here. Um, But I know that no matter what, today we are celebrating the Feast of All Saints. And super happy to have our kids with us this morning. And um, I'm wondering if anyone knows what it means to be a saint. What does that word mean? What does the word saint mean? Martin, do you know? One word, say it. It can be a hard one, I admit. So saint means holy. So when we say that someone is a saint, we are saying that they are a holy person or lived a holy life. And if anyone here speaks Spanish, and I know a few of us do, you know that the word saint and the word holy is both santo, right? It's the same word for both the person and the way of being in the world. And in the church, we sometimes use this word to speak about individual people, right? Like St. Francis of Assisi or St. Perpetua. Saints are holy because they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we celebrate their lives because they taught us how to live like Jesus in the world. And so Jesus says things like this. Preach the good news to all people. Love not only your neighbor, but also your enemies. Greater love has no one than the one that lays down their life for someone else. Blessed are the persecuted for the sake of righteousness. And it's the saints that we remember because they're the ones that show us how to live this way in the world. I don't know about you guys, but I find Jesus' teaching super compelling. And I find the pages of the Bible just so alive every time I read it. But sometimes I want to ask myself, do people really live this way? Are there people like Jesus in the world? And that's why reading the lives of the saints and hearing about stories of the saints is so compelling and so encouraging because the same spirit that dwelled in Christ is alive and at work in the church and is animating us and has especially animated some persons in powerful ways that just hearing their story encourages us, strengthens our faith, and says, yes, Christ is real, and the Spirit of Christ is at work in the world. But of course, on this day, I want to remind you that in the Bible, the word saint is never found in the singular. So you actually never find the word saint. It's always saints. And so we know that someone like the Apostle Paul writes letters to like the church in Ephesians. And he says, hey, I, Apostle, I, the Apostle Paul, write to you the saints who are at Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Who are the saints? Friends, you are the saints. The saints are the people that God is making holy. The church Did you know that that's God's plan for your life? God wants you to become a saint. That's what he wants. This is why God came in the person of Jesus. God became like us so that we could become like him. God became human so that we could become holy. 
God became human to make you into a saint. And so we have this great passage that Karis read to us from 1 John 3 this morning. And I want to walk through that for just a second. It says, see what amazing love the Father has given to us. And because of it, we are called children of God. And that is what we really are. Now, I wonder what it means to be called children of God. What does that mean? We just finished our soccer season yesterday. Anyone here play soccer? Anyone here a soccer parent? You're a soccer dad or soccer, soccer mom? Spent a couple of Saturdays out there on the field? Um, it's been a minute since we had a Saturday morning probably. There are a lot of different kinds of kids out there on the field, right? Really different personalities, different athletic abilities. So some are a little bit stronger than others or bigger or faster. Some are more confident. Some are more sensitive. And what I find really funny is, is that if you get to know the kids and you watch them for a while, it suddenly is pretty easy to look on the sidelines and know who the parents are. Because they match up, don't they? <laughs> Children often reflect the character of their parents. And in John 3, we see that John is telling us that God loved us so much that he gave his one and only son so that through him we can be God's children too. And as God's children, we get to show the world what our Father in heaven is like. Now, if you're like me, you might be thinking at this moment, well, God is always good and always kind and always loving and always forgiving, and I know that I am not always those things. So how is it then that we're God's children? Well, the rest of the verse kind of tells us about that. If we pick up in verse two, it says, dear friends, now we are children of God. And so John is saying, hey, we already are children of God, even though we haven't fully become what we one day will become. And so he says, God still hasn't let us know what we will one day be. One day God is going to make us into people that are so good and beautiful and loving that we cannot even imagine it now. But, John says, we know that when Christ appears, we will be like him. That's because we will see him as he really is. Friends, this is the promise of sainthood, that we will all be holy women and holy men, because when we see Christ face to face, God is going to also transform us into his holy image. We're all going to be daughters and sons of God in the most pure way imaginable. And then verse three says this, Christ is pure and all who hope to be like him will make themselves pure. Christ is holy, he's free from sin, he's always loving. And so those who hope to be like him make their way pure. We're seeking to grow and holiness. And so friends, if you want to follow Christ, there is only one path, and that is the path to sainthood. 
And so I'm wondering this morning if it might be okay to share a few stories of some saints. I've been thinking of three saints over this past week that inspire my faith and encourage me in the midst of all of my current challenges that I'm up against, in the midst of my trials, they remind me what it's like to live like Christ in the world. The first one I want to talk to you about is named Saint Oscar Romero. He was the Archbishop of El Salvador during the 70s, just before I was born, when my mom was in her 20s. Here's a question for you. It's kind of a serious question. But when we talk about the saints, often serious questions arise for us. If someone threatened to kill you, if you did not stop talking about the truth of God's word, what would you do? In the 70s in El Salvador, so a lot of you guys, I sure know where El Salvador, it's in Central America. It's not that large of a country, about 5 million people were living there. And in a country of about 5 million people, there were about 14 families that held all of the wealth and all of the power in the country. And there were a lot of poor people that were formers, and they were looking for a better life. And it turns out that the people there who had the power, both in the government and in the economy, they were doing things to oppress the people. And so if anybody spoke out against how they were being treated, often people would get kidnapped, and no one would ever know what would happen to them. Sometimes these poor people would be murdered just for speaking out about what was happening And the government would kind of fight against anyone who was siding with or taking up for the cause of the poor. And so in the year 1977, the church appointed a new archbishop in El Salvador. His name was Oscar Romero. And when they appointed him, they thought they were appointing someone that they considered safe. He was theologically conservative, uh, also economically conservative. So there were a lot of communists there that were kind of fighting for the people, and he was not at all a communist in any way. And so they didn't expect him to say much. The government was kind of happy when they appointed Oscar Romero. But from his time as a bishop, he had become more and more aware of the treatment of the poor in his country. And soon after he became archbishop, one of his priests were murdered by the government. And so Oscar Romero began to speak up and he began to tell the people what God says about the poor and how he loves them and how he cares for their lives. And he began to tell the people what the Bible says about violence and torture and oppression. Now, at this time, the government controlled the media. So if ever they were killing people or doing something to the people or kidnapping them, the news wouldn't report it. And so Archbishop Romero began to speak out in his sermons, and the only way that people could get news were actually from his sermons that were broadcast on the radio. And when people were kidnapped or killed, he would name their names in the middle of his sermons and would pray for them in the services. And so the people in power began to feel threatened by Oscar Romero, and they told him if he didn't stop preaching God's good news to the poor, that they would have to kill him. Now, I want you to know something about Romero. He did not want to die. 
In fact, just like I would be, he was afraid for his life. He was afraid to get shot. But he also said that if he believed in the resurrection, then he must also continue to preach the truth of God's word. And on the last full sermon that Romero preached, he spoke directly to the military through the radio. He said, I want to make a special appeal to the soldiers, National Guardsmen and policemen. Each of you is one of us. The peasants you kill are your own brothers and sisters. And when you hear a man telling you to kill, remember God's words. Thou shalt not kill. No soldier is obliged to obey a law contrary to the law of God. In the name of God, in the name of our tormented people, I beseech you, I implore you, in the name of our God, I command you to stop the repression. And then on the very next day, as, as Archbishop Romero was preaching in a chapel that was connected to a hospital, in the middle of his sermon, someone stood up and shot him dead. Just days before this happened, he said in an interview, may my death, if it is accepted by God, be for the liberation of my people as a witness of hope in what is to come. You can tell them that if they succeed in killing me, I pardon and bless those who do it. A bishop may die, but the church of God, which is in the people, will never die. So how does the life of Oscar Romero help us become like Jesus? Well, Jesus, Jesus was dedicated to the truth. It is his message of truth that inspired the Jewish religious leaders to kill him because Jesus' truth was a threat to their power. And so Oscar Romero reminds us that the spirit of Christ is still alive in the church. It is the spirit that speaks truth even if the truth costs you everything. Saints of God, I want to invite you to be people of truth. Often speaking the truth at school, with your friends in the neighborhood, at work, it may at times cost you. I want to invite you to reflect on our Lord Jesus Christ and the witness of Archbishop Oscar Romero. I've got another story. I would guess some of you guys have surely seen people wearing masks because of COVID, not because of Halloween. Have you seen people wearing masks? Have any of you had to wear a mask to school or maybe mask to work? Maybe you have seen a doctor on TV wearing gloves and mask and a gown as they went in to see a sick patient. Doctors and nurses wear protective gear so that they can care for sick people without getting sick themselves. Now, I'm not sure if you knew this, but not that long ago, people didn't have protective gear and they didn't know about it. And so often caring for the sick meant that you were risking your own life. So I have a question for you. Would you care for sick people who were dying 
if you knew that going to care for them might cost you your own life? I wanna talk to you about a saint by the name of Damien of Molokai. Damien was born in Flanders, Belgium in the year 1840. It's not the most educated part of Belgium, and he's from kind of a working-class family, not thought to be especially sophisticated. And he became a priest, and he was sent as a missionary to Hawaii. Not a bad place to be sent as a missionary. If the Lord were to call me, I hope I would have the willingness to go. In those days, Hawaii was not a part of the United States. It was its own kingdom. And people in Hawaii were starting to get a really terrible disease called leprosy. Now, I have never known a leper, so I can't tell you too much of the details about it. But you start to get these sores on your skin. And your skin becomes very fragile and starts to fall off. And it, it eats away at your body. And uh, it most often is the case that you will die from that disease. And you will suffer. And it hurts really bad. And so the people of Hawaii did not want to contract this disease from the people that started to get it. And so they started what's called a leper colony on the island of Molokai. And they sectioned off a part of the island, and then they began to force all these people that were sick and hurting and suffering onto that part of the island where they began to live by themselves. Can you think about how terrible it would be in a hospital if there were no doctors or nurses? If all the sick people were there all by themselves, and it was the sick people that had to care for themselves and each other? Well, that's what it was like on this island in this leper colony. Some accounts describe it as a hell on earth. 600 people living there did not have proper shelter. They were living in makeshift huts. People weren't being buried properly when they died, and so wild animals were eating their bodies. It was a dystopia where chaos and malnutrition Sickness and death reigned. Imagine living in a place where there's no government, there's no police, and people are just kind of living wild and outside of any kind of rules. There were some people in the leper colony that were asking for a priest. And so Father Damien volunteered to go and help the people knowing that if he did, it might cost him his very life. And so Damien went and he built a church for the people, but he didn't only build the church. The first thing he started to build after that were coffins so that when people died, that their bodies could be well taken care of and buried properly. It turns out part of being a Christian is caring not only for the living, but caring for the dead and the bodies. And the way we treat people after they die in their bodies, it, it reflects on how we treat people in life and the way that we honor their, the lives of those who are deceased. And so he begins to build a church and build coffins, and then he builds houses for the people to live in, and he makes furniture for them to use. He aided the colony in so many ways. He begins painting and organizing farms and organizing the construction of chapels and roads and hospitals and churches. 
And he dresses the residents with his own hands. So he cares for their sores. He digs their graves. He builds their coffins. He eats food from their own hands. And with them, he shares pipes. And he lives with the lepers as equals. And Father Damien helped to restore dignity to people who had been rejected and literally abandoned by their society. And he wrote this. He said, it is my greatest pleasure to serve the Lord and his poor children rejected by other people. And then in a letter to his brother, he says this, I make myself a leper with the lepers to gain all to Jesus Christ. After 12 years of living among the lepers, he contracted the disease himself. And now Father Damien was able to identify completely with them with the words, we lepers. He continued in his service. He requested that he stay there among the lepers till the end. And after 16 years of living in the leper colony, Father Damien died of the disease of the people that he lived among. He died of leprosy on April 15th, 1889. How does Father Damien help us to see what it looks like to live as Jesus in the world? Jesus too was willing to die that we might live. He entered our suffering that we might be made whole. He was wounded so that we could be healed. He gave his life for us and he invited us to take up our crosses. And Father Damien showed us what it looks like to live like Jesus in a Hawaiian leper colony. He was an instrument of God's goodness for an unwanted people. And I wonder how God might want to use a story like that to inspire someone like you. I wonder if you're going to have an opportunity to do something good for other people. Maybe something good that might cost you. I wonder if you know anyone who has ever been rejected. Maybe someone who sits alone at lunchtime. Someone with whom the other coworkers don't get along with. I wonder if God might be inviting you to be his goodness to someone else, even at a very high cost to yourself. I want to talk to you about one more person. Her name is Therese. She's often known as the little flower. Hey, Judah, I got a picture of Therese in there. I don't know if you could find it. Bam, there she is. That's Therese. Therese is from France, born into a family that really loved Jesus. In fact, her parents did such a good job of raising her, they're saints now too. Imagine that. 
Parents, if you do a decent job at this, you could become saints just from that. And I think you know why. <laughs> Therese, since the time she was a little girl, was in love with Jesus. And she wanted to dedicate her whole life to God. When she was 10 years old, with boldness, she said, I was born for glory. And by that, she meant she was born to bring glory to God. And she perceived her life mission to be one of salvation for all people. And she had imagined that she was going to become a great missionary and that she was going to share the love of Jesus with lots of people throughout the country and in other countries. But instead, God called her into a convent. She's actually 15 right here in this picture. And at the age of 15, she went into a convent. And there in the convent, she was what many of us might describe just an ordinary nun, an ordinary nun who spent a lot of time in prayer and a lot of time cleaning the floors. Only thing is, she wasn't all that great at prayer. She didn't like long, formal prayers. And sometimes during the prayer times, which they had at least, you know, three times a day, you would have, she would fall asleep. She liked little prayers. In fact, she developed something that she called the little way. And I want to talk to you for a moment about the little way. It was inspired from that verse where Jesus says, at least in French, maybe it sounds a little something like this. Whoever is a little one, let them come to me. And it was through this that she realized maybe she'll never do these quote unquote big things for God that everyone would see but that there was this little way of being in the world. The ordinary life with extraordinary love. A smile, a note of encouragement, a phone call. Suffering in silence. Always a positive word or a simple unnoticed task to brighten the life of another. Simple deeds done with love. This was the little way that she practiced. She talks about a time when she is guiding a nun. I think the nun was blind. And the whole time she was guiding the nun, the nun just kept complaining about how bad of a job she was doing. And for her, it was an opportunity of the little way to love this complaining older nun and receive it as a grace from God. And so the smallest action done with love is more important than deeds done for personal glory or gratification or simply out of obedience. Teresa Therese teaches us that Jesus is everywhere and the power of love and goodness operating within us. Such is the power and presence of grace. And so for her, this little way is about a hidden life. It's about things unseen. To many, even in the convent, she seems such an average, ordinary person. Her greatness was shown in the constancy of her love for others and in the most simple ways. And so she gets this name, God's Little Flower. This is a wildflower that I picked outside. And it was even more beautiful before, but I accidentally put a liturgy book on it just before I preached. <laughs> it happens. But I'm guessing all of us at some time have picked a wildflower. 
Have you ever just picked a flower out in the field and just took a moment to stare at its intricacies, how it's made and just how marvelous and how beautiful it is? Just the awe that you can have from staring into a flower. Maybe for some of us grown-ups, it's been too long since we have stopped and stared at a wildflower. What can flowers do? What's their use for you? Will a flower get your homework done? Will a flower help you be good in sports? Will a flower pay your bills? No. The value of flowers is in their beauty, not what they do, but what they are. And this is what Therese said, I am God's wildflower, like the kind of wildflower that is hidden in the woods and no one ever sees it except for God. And she compared herself with the roses of the world, which are found in your garden and everyone gets to see them and champion them and they look at how big and how wonderful they are. And she said, no, I am God's little flower. And she reveled in the thought that God saw her in her hiddenness and in her beauty. So friends, I wanna let you know this morning that sometimes becoming a saint means doing big things for God. Maybe giving your life for truth like the Archbishop Oscar Romero. Maybe it involves giving your life as a missionary like Father Damien. But for many of us, it's more about the little way. Simply loving others in the name of Jesus and recognizing our own beauty even as much of our life is hidden. Our acts of love go unrecognized by most people. Therese only lived to be 26 years old. She got sick, and when she was in bed, she wrote about the little way as she was dying there. But only, but although she only lived to be 26, she has come, become one of the most well-known saints in the world, not from doing big things, but from her little way, which has inspired thousands around the world. God loves you. God sees you as his beautiful wildflower. And if we could just wake up every day and know that this hidden life we live is seen by our Father in heaven, that we are of great value to him and loved by him and that his love flows through us, this would be for us the quiet and certain path to sainthood. Lord, make us into saints for the sake of your love. Amen.